Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Well, a very good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Your radio rabbi revealing how the world really works. And uh, one of the rules of how the world really works is that uh, you cannot really count on a cell phone for equivalent quality as you get from a landline. And I tell you that only in order to smooth my segue into a confession. Uh, which is that uh, due to a flight I was on coming uh, back from Dallas, um, just landed. And so instead of being safely ensconced in my studio with uh, cutting-edge, rocket-age technology, with solid copper and glass fiber landlines in triplicate for security, we are depending on, well, that's right, we're, we're actually depending on a cell phone. And um, my hope and, and plan is that uh, I will very shortly be able to transition back onto uh, the event because I'm on my way to the studio. But uh, for the moment, because I did not want to forego our time together, this is it. So I'm hoping that you can tolerate the quality for the moment and uh, know that as we move along, it's only going to get better. Now, in addition to the cell phone, I'm actually trying to be on the chat room and um, uh, that I see is not that simple. Um, But uh, I I, I hear and I see that I'm sounding, I'm sounding a little bit, sounding a little bit distant and uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I am sorry about that, but this is going to improve. Okay. <clears throat> um, so 
uh, Yaakov says I'm sounding somewhat distant. And uh, keep me in the picture, uh, Yaakov. Uh, let me know if it uh, if it gets better or if it uh, deteriorates. Just let me let me know uh, how that keeps sounding. Okay. Well, a um, couple of things that uh, we're going to look at. I think the the main topic. And those of you who got notification today know that uh, I do want to chat with you a little bit um, about the question of um, well, <laughs> Chinese imperialism and. I'm thinking that maybe it's not well understood. Uh, I don't mean among you, my faithful and loyal listeners, but uh, judging from some of the articles I've seen in the uh, papers and for that matter online as well lately, um, I, I have seen that people do not quite get it. They don't quite understand what's going on. So I do want to, I want to talk about that from the perspective of how it will and how it more than likely, uh, can affect life in America. Uh, in other words, as the Chinese build islands, as they expand their navy, and uh, you do remember, I mean, my, my, my fragile ego requires me to remind you that it was here, right here on this show, that you heard the very first mention of the very first Chinese aircraft carrier uh, that, that you heard about. Well, that, that came from here as well. And, um, and, and I want to talk about what the impact factor that is. You know, you might say to yourself, what possible difference can it make to life in America if the Chinese build up their Navy? Uh, what is the next thing? Are you going to invade Los Angeles? Um, drop a bomb on the Bay Area? No, no and no. They, no, I, I don't think they'd have any interest in, in doing that. But um, uh, what they would have an interest in doing is suppressing America's uh, capacity to make money. And they're already doing that, for heaven's sake. You know, has nobody been watching? So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about the uh, the impact. And uh, I see uh, Matty asks, when is Rabbi Lappin's show starting? It has started! And uh, Rebel puts her right on that. Um, also, Ron says, uh, oh, oh, very nice. Um, Mrs. Lappin is actually online as well. And she is answering. Ron says, Ron is listening in Cleveland, and uh, Ron says, listen to you on the Glenn Beck Show this morning. Thank you very much indeed, Ron. appreciate that. And yes, uh, it is. I am actually heading home from Dallas uh, because Glenn Beck Studios are in Dallas, and uh, I, was, I was doing speeches there for the last few days and then uh, did Glenn Beck's radio show this morning. So uh, that's exactly what happened there. Uh, so, yes, uh, Definitely wanted to uh, uh, to discuss the the question of uh, the Chinese power and um, and Susan Lappin. What was the um, what was the other topic we said? Yeah, right. Okay, here's the one we should we should start touching on now. Okay, so as you know, the Shawshank Redemption uh, is taking place in northern New York State <laughs> right now. Excepting that uh, it's not Morgan Freeman, uh, but it's it's two pretty bad guys. I mean these these are uh, these are guys that have killed and uh, uh, killed uh, thoughtlessly, and not, not that it's necessarily better if you kill thoughtfully, but it, it looks as if these are two guys who uh, are uncontrollable and uh, meaning they can't control themselves and they erupt into brutality and violence at the slightest provocation. And um, and so 
whilst there's a very natural tendency, I think, particularly for folks who, um, who feel unease to begin with about the, uh, the, about the government. Uh, you've got unease about the way law enforcement has been going the last few years, becoming more arrogant, becoming more aggressive. Um, there's a very natural instinct, is there not, to, to sort of want to side with these guys. I mean, it was a pretty brilliant escape, right? I mean, through the pipes, uh, somehow or another, they secured power tools, apparently, because they actually cut through steel. Uh, pretty impressive. And they got well away long before, I mean, hours and hours before anyone knew they'd left and they'd gone. So there's a very natural tendency to to want to root for them and, and hope that they, they get away. But it's worth just remembering, these. you know, this is not the Shawshank Redemption. These are not good guys at all. And... Um, and but they are in a cat and mouse game, and of course, uh, every day that goes by without them being captured, and anybody anybody in in uh, in, in reality knows this. The more time that goes by, uh, the less likelihood is, there is of them being uh, captured. Now, eventually, eventually, the overwhelming majority of escapees do get caught again. Uh, why? Because just think about this second. Um, yes, and uh, Dog mentions the crooked guard that helped them from the very start. Uh, yeah, look, it, it not not crooked. I wouldn't call her crooked. Let's talk about her for for just a moment. Although she was uh, uh, she was married and she has a family, um, we really can learn something about male female relationships by something that happened not only. Uh, this week, this Saturday, with uh, with the escapees out of northern New York, but this is something you find happening in in prisons around the country, and uh, indeed, I suspect around the world, and that is women are ready to form relationships with guys in prison, and um, we we see this, and uh, we we see it frequently. Sometimes it's women who will actually marry guys incarcerated for lengthy periods of time, and um, and at other at other occasions they uh, they form more temporary alliances and in and in many cases help them. So we really do want to explore that aspect of it a little bit. In other words, what is it that makes this middle-aged woman help these two reckless uh, desperados and um, in, in so doing, endangering herself, needless to say, in, in many ways, but uh, reputationally, if not legally. So, um, so that's a very, very interesting thing. I do, I do want to talk about that. I want to try and explain a little bit of what's going on. You know, why is it? Uh, in other words, if um, this is nearly always male, male uh, convicts and female accessories, um, much, much harder the other way. You don't see that so much. First of all, there are far fewer female convicts. And secondly, um, it's also quite different in terms of the dynamics. So uh, think about that a little bit because we do want to talk about that. And then we want to uh, talk about also, at least I want to talk about why it is 
that it is so very difficult to pull off a successful escape. In other words, getting out of the prison is, is a massive challenge. And these guys managed to, to pull that off uh, with stunning virtuosity. It's absolutely amazing. Um, they, they did that. But then the problem only begins. Because think about this now. Put yourself in that position. You've just got out. Um, if you are captured, uh, you will be subjected to additional discipline, probably time added on. I'm, I'm almost sure time gets added on to your sentence, which is already long. You've, you, you know, you, you, you've tasted freedom. You obviously are yearning desperately to get out from the house. And, uh, and so now you want to do anything you can to stay out, anything you possibly can to stay out. Okay, fine. So think about how much more difficult it is today than it was 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Because right away, your biggest problem is hunger. So what are you going to do? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very real thing. So, you know, you can, you can probably steal a little food here and there. Uh, you can try and... Uh, and um, uh, you know, whether it's, I mean, shoplifting would be very, very risky. Uh, there are cameras in shops, but, you know, maybe from farms, maybe from gardens. Um, you, you're going to be on the very edge of survival. I mean, you're not, you're not having any uh, luxurious meals there at all. But, you know, you've got to, you've got to retain uh, strength and uh, you've got to keep going, so you're going to have to find food. What happens next? I mean, you see what the challenge is. If you have collaborators on the outside who are able to equip you with a false driving license and papers and so on, uh, that's different. That's already a big help. But um, having that is quite hard, particularly with lone operators like these guys who apparently were not part of gangs and, uh, you know, you don't form, these sort of guys do not form deep and lasting relationships, although one of them has a son, interestingly enough, who's already spoken, and obviously uh, police have, have interrogated him, and he, he appears to have nothing to do with the role. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Not even to know anything about it. But, uh, but all in all, you are left with this massive problem of how on earth do you function? What do you do? 
Um, somebody mentions that uh, Charlie Manson is going to be marrying a 26-year-old woman soon in jail. And that may not even be for the first time. I've got a vague recollection. You may have done that already. I'm not sure. But uh, but um, but there it is. You know, if you don't have outside uh, collaborators able to supply you with identification papers, what do you do? Just think about it. If you're in that situation, and uh, you might remember there was the the case in Southern California, um, maybe uh, nine months to a year ago. Uh, and in this case, if it's you know if it's somebody he uh, he had uh, special forces training, I believe he was able to live off the land, and that's kind of what you got to do, right? You've got to avoid being spotted. You really don't want to run into people. Uh, you don't want to have any interaction with people because your photograph is being circulated and you're in the news all over the place. So very very difficult. You know what do you do? If you can live off the land, well, for a certain period of time you do that, but um, you, you can see that it becomes problematic, and you don't have the ability to uh, uh, I mean, money. What are you going to do? And every time you commit a crime in order to secure money or food or any other aspect of survival, uh, you elevate the risks you're running of recapture enormously. It's a very tough thing, and uh, this is not this is not the days of Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, the by the, the the circulation of descriptions and identity, and everyone knows these guys got. I mean, what do you do? I mean, it would seem that you know you 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 are driven to to put as big a distance between you and the uh, the prison as possible. I mean, clearly that would be. Uh, to whatever extent you can, you want to do that because the further you increase the radius of the circle, uh, the more ground has to be searched by your would-be captors. So, um, so getting far away. But again, how do you deal with transport? What do you do? You can't hitchhike. I mean, that's 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 a loser. Um, jumping trains. You know, again, these are not the days of uh, Jack Kerouac and uh, hobos getting on. No, we're not talking about the 1920s. Today, totally different story. And don't forget that uh, there's been an increase in uh, 9-11. Since 9-11, there's been an increase in uh, security and caution and uh, who gets to be able to get in and out of where. So... um, I mean, all in all, uh, Dog in the chat room says without outside support, they're toast. And uh, there's no question about it that uh, outside support um, would would make a world of difference, gives them a much, much, much better shot of survival, much better chance of getting away. But uh, we shall see. That that is interesting. But but here is the second aspect of of the discussion. Right, we'll we'll come back to talk about. Uh, why women help desperados. But uh, here's the other aspect of it. And I wonder if if, uh, any of you spotted this in the news coverage. And that is the baleful presence of Homeland Security. Hello? Say that again, please. That's right. Homeland Security coordinating the search. Homeland Security determining what areas have to be closed off and uh, 
how homeowners in the neighborhood need to be alerted and notified of what's going on. Homeland Security? That is very odd. And um, here, ladies and gentlemen, I must say that I depict for you a um, set of circumstances that is somewhat sinister and uh, something that makes me very, very uneasy. And that is very simply this. Remember what education used to be like in this country? You go back, and we're not talking hundreds of years. <laughs> we just go back a matter of decades, that's all. And all you know is that schools were run by local authorities. There was a PTA, there was a local school board. It was on a local level. And, you know, there was, there was city level and county level, and, and eventually we got to state level. But you understand that today, public education in the K through 12 is federalized. It's all the federal government now. The federal government issues decrees and rulings having to do with everything from the food that is served in cafeterias to uh, core, um, core curriculum uh, rules. And, uh, and the federal government determines this and tells all the local schools, here is what you need to do or else you don't get your money. Well, this is where we're headed with policing with law enforcement in the country. The idea is a national police force. And um, we happen to right now have an administration that is extremely well disposed towards the idea of centralized police. It's not an accident that the administration has sent their Justice Department bulldogs um, out to uh, police forces in, uh, in Baltimore and in Ferguson and, and many, many other uh, similar hotspots, for what purpose? Basically, to bring them under federal guidelines. This, my friends, is, is ominous. It's not what we're accustomed to in America. And the danger is that mm, as this begins to be noticed and gets to be talked about, you know that the elite are going to tell you well, what's the big deal? In Germany, it's a federalized police. In England, it's one big police system. And in, even in the land of Israel itself, it's a police system that answers to the government, central government. So people will say, Lappen, what are you getting worked up about? Many civilized countries in the world have a central police. Well, yes, maybe they do. I don't dispute they do. And uh, one of the reasons that America has been a more successful society than all of those others is partially because we don't have centralized control. And every aspect of growth of central government makes the space in which you can operate as a free and autonomous individual smaller and smaller. Do you follow what I'm saying? The more space government begins to take, the less there is available for you to be your own person. As government swells and grows and expands and 
develops tentacles, you are forced to retreat into ever smaller premises because the zone of autonomy and individual independence shrinks relentlessly. That's what we're dealing with. Now, um, what we're going to do, what we're going to do now, friends, and producer Rebel, I hope that this is okay with you because um, we are, uh, we're very soon, very soon now, we're going to switch to the studio and we're going to recover sound volume. Um, Susan, have people been commenting about the sound quality? So, sound is okay? Okay. Well, at any rate, we're going to get it better. We're going to resume uh, proper sound, and that means we're going to take a break now as uh, as we switch. And uh, Producer Rebel, if, um, if it's okay with you, Producer Rebel, I'm going to uh, take a break now. And if you don't mind, be ready to play two songs if necessary, because it just might take um, more than a minute or two to get ourselves organized. So think of it as a top-of-the-hour news break. Now, it's not going to be six or seven minutes, as is uh, common, but uh, it might be a few minutes, and then it will be back, and I'll be able to start wrapping up these topics and, and dealing with them in a methodical kind of a way. Uh, I'll also be able to join you on the chat room more effectively as well. Uh, so, Producer Rebel, over to you with the music and uh, your radio rabbi quick break, and uh, I will return before very long. Tonight, I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive. And the world, I'm turning inside out. I'm floating around in ecstasy. So don't stop. Sonic 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I think that that 
I think that has us back in business, at least uh, for the moment. I think we're more or less, more or less operational. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you very much indeed for, for bearing with me over some of the logistical and technical challenges of this evening, uh, just having to do with uh, flights that uh, got me back, uh, well, just a little bit too close to showtime. But, um, but here we are, and uh, talking, I will, I will come back. Uh, for the second hour, we're going to talk about the growth of uh, the Chinese uh, military commercial empire, and I want to put that into perspective. And uh, right now, I want to discuss the, uh, the the growing control that the federal government is beginning to exert um, over uh, law enforcement. We're seeing more and more of it, and I don't doubt for a moment that the the socialist mind of the nomenclatura. I don't doubt for a moment that that socialist mind finds the patchwork of local law enforcement all around the country uh, that allows in Arizona a hero like Sheriff Arpaio and in Milwaukee uh, a sheriff who stands up to mob behavior and thuggish conduct uh, regardless of the color of the skins of the miscreants. And... Um, the, these, these people, this, this patchwork of law enforcement, uh, where law enforcement can uh, take on the perspective of uh, local areas, you know, different areas have different needs and different approaches. And, um, and all of this has to be replaced with a one-size-fits-all federal bureaucracy. Do you have any idea of how big the rule book would become for law enforcement. Because once you have to cover every single eventuality, leaving no room for individual initiative, leaving no room for a policeman to play his hunches, you're going to end up with a rule book that is so vast that it would be absolutely impossible for any officer to be fully compliant. And again, my friends, that's part of the dream of socialism, where it is possible for a central government to find something with which to charge any and every citizen any time it likes. It's the way that restaurants operate. Restaurants operate with the, with the will and permission of local uh, authorities, because there's no restaurant in which an aggressive government health inspector could not find something to classify as a violation. Not possible. And so uh, restaurants know and understand that. This is also a little bit like the uh, the B&B business. You're aware of this, right? There's, uh, there's an app, there's a software and a website that is now uh, very successfully climbing into the peer network playground. What is this? Well, uh, essentially, it is software and mobile connectivity that allows people to, um, to connect with one another and, and uh, be with one another and to, to collaborate and communicate and cooperate. And so Uber is one. It's the most successful, but there are a number of these car services where ordinary people who would like to make some extra money and drive a few hours a day 
can do so and, and be put in touch with people who want to be driven. There is a new one that does package delivery. You know, if, if you're driving from um, uh, Dallas to Lubbock, and you go online and you'll find somebody who wants a package delivered from Dallas to Lubbock. And uh, they've even got it all worked out. Uh, they're, they're in conjunction with, um, is it uh, Wendy's or International House of Pancakes? One of these restaurants that have, uh, has a lot of outlets. And that's where you hand over the packages. All of this is done on your smartphone. Uh, you've got a package to send. You jump on the app, find out if anyone is going there you know, right now. And what you do is you, you tell your Aunt Agatha in Lubbock that uh, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, she must go along and meet somebody at the IHOP on the corner of 4th and Main. And meanwhile, back in, da- in Dallas, you hand over the package to, uh, to the driver, and off he goes. Uh, B&B operates on the basis of um, people who are willing to do short-term rentals. Let's say you've got a spare room. You want to make a, a few dollars. You know, you can make $50, 100 $150 a night. That's not chicken feed. And uh, all you do is you, you sign up on B&B, and, uh, and then pretty soon people, travelers who come to, this, to the city or town or wherever you're located, you know, rather than going to – and it's got, to, it's got to take a certain type of person, I must tell you. Me, myself, and, and I'll come back to this, but me, myself, I'm not a B&B sort of person. I don't care for bed and breakfasts. I like uh, hotels. I like hotel chains. Why? Um, frankly, I like the predictability. I like knowing what the room is going to be like. I like knowing what the uh, what the conveniences are. I, I like to know if there's a swimming pool for me to exercise. Um, I like all, all of these things. I, I don't like surprises when I travel. So I'm not a good customer for this at all. But many people prefer a much more personalized experience. And... Um, um, by this, you know, I've got to stop reading the the uh, the chat room. It's always so interesting, uh, and uh, the the people who do want a more personal uh, hotel experience, people who who would like to be able to um, stay in somebody's home are perfectly happy to pay. They end up probably paying a little bit less than an equivalent quality hotel would cost them. And meanwhile, the householder, the owner of the, the premises, makes uh, some money that he wouldn't otherwise have made. And this is really, you know, you think about it, this, this makes God smile. When two complete strangers improve one another's lives, uh, I give you money, you let me stay in your house, and we're both happy. We're both better off than we were before. It's a wonderful thing. So even though I'm not necessarily likely to be a big user of it, I do use Uber, but I, I wouldn't likely be a big user of that. Um, but I'm a big enthusiast. I love it. I love anything that brings human beings together. Because you'll remember that folks who are trading with one another are not fighting with one another. You can count on that. <laughs> it's, that, that is for sure. And, uh, and this lets people trade with one another. And trading with one another means making one another happier than they were before. That's right. Because following a trade, if the whole thing was voluntary, following a trade of any kind, if I buy goods or a service or a thing or an object, whatever it is I buy, 
I did that because I value it more than I value the money I'm paying for it. And so it's wonderful. It's, it's only all a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And, um, and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm very, very much in favor of it, very much in favor of anything that works like this. And that, that's what B&B uh, does. Now, because, because we, unfortunately we all realize that it's only through the, the, the magnanimity of government that we're even allowed to function, if you know what I mean, not surprisingly, these folks, um, the B&B people, have essentially, well, they've sort of folded. Um, they, and they've sort of said, okay, folks, um, we want to pay taxes. Now, you know, if you look at your hotel bill, right now I was just at a hotel in Dallas, and um, Dallas is great, by the way. I mean, it's not at all bad. Taxes are very much under control. But if you go to a hotel in Washington, D.C., or New York, or San Francisco, and many, most places, the taxes are appalling. The hotel taxes are incredibly high. The reason the politicians do that, of course, and get away with it is because what they say is, hey, you know, we're not taxing the people who elected us, we're taxing the visitors. And nobody stops to think that you could be killing the goose that lays the golden eggs, because when visitors come to a place, that's good for the people who live there. That's not that hard to figure out. And if you tax them to the point where they'd rather go somewhere else just because it's, you look at your bill and you feel like an idiot for paying that much in taxes. But nonetheless, the B&B people, the B&B people, people have essentially gone to governments and uh, said, look, you go ahead, we'll pay, we're happy to pay you because that way it's essentially protection money. And sure enough, municipalities and cities with whom B&B have struck a tax deal are the places where they don't hassle B&B, and they're letting them function. So yes, we do pay protection money for, to be left alone by bureaucrats. We do. It's just one of the uh, sad realities of the way things work in a country that has for a long time been sliding down the sordid, slippery slope of secularism and socialism. Yep, that's, that's where we are. And this tendency, when I, I must tell you, when I saw Homeland Security. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Involved in the search for the two escaped convicts. Uh, I. I, I, I said to myself, this is now the third or fourth time I've seen it. This is a reality. This is more than a trend. This is now a policy. To nationalize police under the heading, under the umbrella of Homeland Security. That is, I think, the way in which uh, we are moving. Um, talking of, talking of um, hotels, by the way, I've noticed some interesting trends in hotel rooms lately. 
One of them is, and I don't get this, in, one of them is towel racks are increasingly hard to find. <laughs> it's bizarre. I mean, you, you finished with the towel, you want to hang it up. I don't know if it's the uh, boutique decorators who've told them that towel racks are old-fashioned or they look messy. Or, I don't get it. I simply, I've been in a number of hotels in the last month that do not have towel racks. What's, what's that all about? After you use your towel, you know, you're not ready to throw it on the floor. By the way, that's what they tell you. Oh, put your towel on the floor if you want us to replace it. But if you want to help save the planet, why then you should just uh, keep reusing it. Okay, fine. And where are you supposed to put it while you're reusing it? That's one thing. Here's another thing in hotels that, uh, that I, mean, I should really write this up as a list and, uh, and send it off to friends I've got in the hospitality industry. But I can't believe they don't know this. Here's another peeve of mine. Um, hotel rooms that are dark, not enough lighting. What's that about? Do you not want us to see that the carpet is dirty? <laughs> Do you not want us, to, want us to see that there's dust behind the television set? What is it? Why do they have to be so dark? Uh, you know, I like a, a brightly lit room. You want a darker room, turn off some of the lights, but at least give me the option of lights. What's that about? And um, here's a third one. A third one is electrical sockets. Have you ever had to be in the position of um, of having to sort of move a piece of furniture to get at a socket or crawl across the mattress of your bed to dig down beneath the headboard because the only socket is behind the bed. Have you noticed that? What's that about? Why do they do that? Come on, give us sockets. Give us electrical sockets already. Every single one of us is traveling with some device or another that needs charging. So please give us electrical sockets. And here's the last of my four uh, comments about hotel rooms. And I, I, you know, if any of you have stayed in, uh, in hotels for the last little while, um, oh, you know what, here's, here's somebody who says, I've been in the hospitality industry for over 25 years. I can sure understand what he's, what he's saying. Laugh out loud. Uh, well, maybe you can also tell me why they do that. Why do they make the room dark? Why don't they give us towel racks? Why don't they give us sockets? And, um, uh, wow, a lot of people are saying it's to save electricity, so keep the hotels. But, I mean, gosh, that's so inconvenient. And it would be a selling point, you know, if, if, uh, if a hotel advertised, you know, plenty of sockets, I, I think I, that would, you know, if it, if, it in other, if it in other ways was also convenient and comfortable, I'd go for that. But here's my fourth. I told you three already, right? Towel racks, sockets, and lighting. Here's my fourth one, and I've noticed this more and more and more. And this one, this one really, really bothers me. Oh, good idea. I'm just reading. Somebody says, I travel with an extension cord and a three-way splitter. That is smart. That is smart. I got to look out for a, uh, a portable travel, um, uh, something that allows me to plug two or three things into one outlet. Good idea. Uh, the fourth one is 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 dis it's disappointing, uh, and it's also disturbing. You know what it is, my friends. The Bibles are no longer there. The Bibles are no longer there. 
some hotels, yes, I think Marriott still has them. But uh, in some of the other hotels I've been staying at lately, no Bibles. Now, I make a point of calling down to the front desk, asking them to send up a Bible. And they do. So they got them. They got a few, but they won't put them in the room anymore. Why not? So here is what... <laughs> oh, by the way, here's something I have done. Um, I was in a hotel in, uh, was it Charlotte or Los Angeles a little while recently? And I was going to be there for four days. And they had these low wattage light bulbs in, in all the standing lamps and the bed lamps. Um, I, I had a rental car. I went out. I stopped at a, uh, a hardware store. I bought 100 watt bulbs came back, replaced all the bulbs with 100-watt 100 100 bulbs. Not only was the room light and it gave me pleasure, it also gave me additional pleasure to stick it to them. Am I very childish? Probably so. But, uh, but that, that is what I did. Now, I, don't, I wouldn't travel with light bulbs, but, uh, but that is what I did do that time. And uh, it, it worked very well. So what's with the Bibles? Why aren't they putting the Bibles in? I've actually looked into this a little bit, and uh, here is what I discovered. There is a wonderful ministry, been around for a long, long time, called the Gideons. And, uh, and since time immemorial, the Gideons have made it their job to, uh, to see that every hotel room in the country has a Bible. And, uh, and I know myself of stories of, of people's lives that were impacted because they were able to sit on their bed and open a Bible. People's lives have been impacted. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm very sorry, very sorry. So now, what's caused it? I thought and assumed that it was because they are so politically correct, they didn't want to be perceived as, oh, forcing, oh, come on, I mean, really. Bedside, ta bedside table, there's a drawer, you stick a Bible in the drawer. No, it's something else. What's happened is that there is a parallel Islamic organization, apparently, and I do not know who it is, uh, that have been going around to hotels saying equal time in the same way that people might want to open a Bible, people might want to open a Quran. And what's more than that, because uh, e Islam is aggressively evangelical in the sense that it proselytizes, uh, they want somebody to pick up a Quran, open it randomly, and maybe they'll, they, maybe they'll find it talking to them. Maybe, maybe it'll sing to their soul. And so... Uh, uh, people in the Muslim community went around to hotels. And at that point, hotels said, you know what, to now start putting two, and then, um, and then Marriott also puts the Book of Mormon, that's three. Uh, and then who knows who else is going to come along and ask for their holy book to be put in. We're just going to put none in. And I think it's a big shame. And I kind of, that in, in that one, I sort of understand the position of the hotels, I understand. But uh, at the same time, I am sorry about that. I, I do think that that is, I think it's a setback. I think it's a negative. So um, oh, there's, some, there's some very, very, very funny uh, comments in the chat room. And when I go to a break in uh, a few minutes, well, I am going to then catch up with everything that, uh, that, is on the, uh, that is on the chat room. So let me do that. Uh, Producer Rebel, if you, if you don't mind, I appreciate you working with me on this. And um, I am going to uh, break, if that's okay. So um, quick one. 
this time not as not as long as the last one. And uh, your radio rabbi, that's me, revealing how the world really works. Quick break, and then back here on the Rabbi Lappin Show. Thanks for holding on there, folks.
All righty. Okay. Well, okay. Terrific. Well, uh, having surmounted the technological challenges, thanks for bearing with me, everybody, tonight. I hope that uh, I hope the sound quality wasn't uh, intolerable. We were able to uh, keep functioning. I would have hated to have missed it. And the uh, same goes for, for those of you listening on Sunday morning as well. Uh, I'm very, very pleased to be able to have the opportunity to discuss some of the things that uh, are on my heart at this point. Now, we're just about uh, sliding into the the second hour of the show. And uh, I also want to talk about uh, two questions that that came my way recently. One of them we actually responded to on the Ask the Rabbi feature. So those of you who receive our uh, weekly emails know that you each week you get a thought tool, and then you also get a question that somebody has asked us, which uh, we answer in the context of ancient Jewish wisdom. And so, for instance, uh, one of the questions that we got asked this week was, um, uh, you know, and maybe maybe it would be interesting if I can actually find it in the um, in its in its original form, and I might be able to do that real quickly. Um, and all you got to do is give me just a minute, and uh, I should be able to pull it together quite quickly. Uh, but this was somebody. This was a a woman who wrote, and uh, she had been running her business. And I got the impression that it was for, for quite a while. She'd, she'd run a, uh, a fairly successful business. And, um, and here is what she wrote. My husband and I are reading your book on business. She means probably thou shalt prosper. Or maybe, maybe she means business secrets from the Bible. My husband and I are reading your book on business as a result of seeing you on the 700 Club. That's uh, a, TV, a CBN show with Pat Robertson. She continues, I have been in business for 25 years in the imprinted apparel business. Oh, okay. So that means like uh, personalized T-shirts and that sort of stuff. And, or maybe, may, yeah, that, I guess it's clothing that, that have, has people's names and designs on it. And recently, my husband lost his job. Ay, 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 ay. It made sense for him to join the business as he is 10 years younger than me, and I have to deal with a lot of boxes and deliveries when jobs are completed. My business has supplied me for 25 years, she means with an income, but it is a small business, and now we need to generate enough income for two of us. We start our day every day reading scripture and praying, and then we get to work. So far, so good, as the last summer camp order was double the size of last year. It is still a step in faith as we attempt to grow our business and ask God to help us. And if you don't mind, I'd like to tell you what we wrote to her. And here's what we wrote. Dear Lauren, if you've been in business for 25 years and it is growing, you must be doing many things right. You clearly invite God to bless and guide your business, which is always an important step. We'd like to limit our comments to the effects of your husband joining your business. While a temporary measure may be necessary and may sometimes make sense, it makes us rather uncomfortable for you and your husband 
to see his contribution as being pretty much the muscle. Because you'll remember in her letter, she said, uh, I have to deal with a lot of boxes and deliveries, and I'm 10 years older than he is. So we answered and we said, look, we're worried if you both see his role as basically muscle. If his only role is one that could be filled by a strapping 16-year-old, then we would worry about the effects on his own identity and your respect for him. Additionally, it is a bad business move to overpay someone beyond his fiscal contribution to the bottom line merely because he is the boss's husband. Now, we may have misunderstood, and he may be making other important contributions to the business. However, if not, we would suggest that he seeks another position elsewhere as quickly as possible. Even if your husband does contribute greatly to the business, we urge you both to be acutely aware of the effects on your relationship. Being your husband's boss can lead to emotions and ramifications that do not remain confined to the workplace. Now, when a man is his wife's boss, that also raises difficulties, but of an entirely different nature. While each situation is unique, we do encourage you and your husband to put the marriage before the money. Wishing you both success in marriage and business. Rabbi Daniel and Susan Lappin. That was our answer to that particular question. It's an important issue because on the surface of it, it seems to make a lot of sense. Oh, we, we got a business. And I will tell you at the outset that because of the different ways that the good Lord created men and women and the different kind of ego that he put in men and he put in women, although there are going to be exceptions, obviously, generally speaking, generally speaking, it is much easier on a marriage for a wife to work in the husband's business than for a husband to work in the wife's business. It really is tough. And, uh, and that's why we just, we just wanted to make that clear. We wanted people to be aware of some of the, um, of some of the pitfalls that lie in wait when a husband's ego gets corroded in the context of a marriage. It's very difficult. You know, wives do not always realize the extent to which they hold the keys to a husband's ego. They simply, they simply don't know. They don't realize that. Difficult, difficult. Um, I want to. I, I want to also tell you about another question we received before I, I go back to China. Um, I want to tell you about another question. Um, okay, so this is a question that I get probably three, four times a year. I got to tell you, it happens a lot. Um, here is, here is the, the question. Um, a man is married 
and uh, they have, you know, they have one or two, sometimes three children, whatever it is. They have kids. There's a family there, and he's miserably unhappy in his job. So right away, this is a horrible situation. A man needs fulfillment in his work and in his home. A man needs fulfillment from his job and from his wife. Now, uh, what does a woman need? That's a different conversation. And I, I'm not, not ducking that, but uh, it is a total mistake to surrender one's intellect to the mood of the times and say men and women are exactly the same. Whatever men need, women need. Whatever women need, men need. That's simply not true. And frankly, you really would have to be a, a very slow-moving moron to still actually believe that idea. Simply not true. So I'm going to be speaking for the moment about men. And uh, and so in the situation I'm describing, which I get a letter on three, four times a year, honestly, it's a regular letter. And uh, it's, it's sometimes the letter is from the husband, sometimes it's from the wife. When it's from the husband, uh, he writes and says, I hate my job, um, but I, I don't have an option. I've got to provide for my family. I don't have any nest egg. I don't have you know anything large to fall back on. Um, you know how life is, and uh, you know we 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 put away a few dollars, but it's nothing substantial. And I certainly wouldn't want to go through it. Uh, and so, what do I do? I've I've got a fire in my belly about an entrepreneurial idea. I've got a business I really think I could make a success of. I want to leave my job and start my business. My wife is terrified. She's really, really scared about that possibility. Uh, she's frightened that we'll, be, we'll end up with nothing. We'll lose the house. We'll have nothing. Then I get the same letter from the wife who says, I'm trying to be a good wife. My husband hates his job. He's really excited about a business he wants to start. But I'm terrified. I don't want to destroy his hopes and dreams, but at the same time, I, I, I can't sleep at night. I'm so frightened of what's going to happen if he quits his job. We stop getting a paycheck. We no longer have uh, medical benefits, and businesses take more time to build than people expect, and businesses take up more capital to get going than people think. You, you follow what I'm saying? And so what do I do? And it's a cry of pain from the wife. And it's a cry of incredible frustration when the husband writes and says, I can't bear going to work. But on the other hand, I, I, I love providing for my family. I'd love to start my own business. But do I quit work and start doing that? This is a very, very tough question, my friends. There's no question about it. This is a very, very difficult question. And um, husbands and wives have to be on the same page. Husbands have to try and understand how important security is to a woman. Do you remember the Darwin Awards from some years back? These were when uh, P. 
people did incredibly dumb things and lost their lives in the in the process. Do you know that it was always men, not women? Who's going to take crazy risks? Yes, there are women who climb Mount Everest, but it's overwhelmingly men. It's like 50 to 1 or 100 to 1. There's very, very few women who do it. But uh, the men do it. And people die on Everest. But there are men who live their lives behind the desk every day dreaming of climbing a great mountain. It's not my dream, but I understand it. I, I do get the dream in the same way that nobody gets my dream of you know, sailing <laughs> small boats across oceans. Nobody gets that, or at least other than other sailors. So I get that. We men are different from women. Security is not the most important thing to us. Um, whether it is uh, making a contribution, whether it's feeling validation, whether it's uh, adventure and adrenaline, there are all kinds of different avenues in which it seeks fulfillment. But for men, security is not the most important thing. And for women, it very often is. It's certainly one of the very most important things for many women, if not most women. Totally understandable. It makes sense. Because women, if they don't already, know that they will feel a responsibility to little people who look to them for everything. And so, um, and, and I must tell you that uh, it bothers me. In the Jewish community, I have encountered many women, young women, who are so uh, devoted to God and to faith that they seek to marry young men who are going to be in the uh, in ministry and uh, and the likelihood of their future husbands being able to do much more than eke out a very bare living is not good and yet i i find myself very bothered because these young women as as worthy and as virtuous as they are they have overcome a very natural feminine attribute that the good Lord built into women, which is a desire for security. And that adventurism and risk-taking and dream-nurturing that men do, when coupled with their woman's grasp on reality and yearning for security, when those come together, you got a pretty good chance of making it work. I know Christian women who deeply desire to marry pastors and to marry men in ministry. And it's hard. No question about it. Now, in many cases, these women are such incredible assets that they help to turn their husbands' ministries into enormously successful enterprises and uh, financial stress uh, goes away, which is, you know, incredible. But uh, it's a natural thing for women to seek security. It's a natural thing for men to seek fulfillment and uh, and so if you're a man and you are desperately thinking of how you can get out and leave your existing job and start your own business, you've got to be very aware of your wife's emotional needs. And maybe the secret is to sit down and to work out a budget. Here is exactly how we will live. Here is what I expect the business to make. And by the way, at that point, your wife is going to say, but wait a second, 
I read again and again and again that entrepreneurs underestimate how much capital it takes to get up and running and how much time it takes. If you're doing the same thing, then the numbers you're showing me are problematic. And at that point, the husband gets very frustrated and very angry and says, no, this is going to work. Guys, don't do that. Don't do that. She loves you. Don't do that. What you've got to do is you've got to be willing to say, well, how about the two of us find a business coach or a business startup expert or an experienced entrepreneur or an older business mentor? Let's sit down together with him and we both will agree in advance to take guidance from him as to what our startup budget could look like, how long it could take. Uh, and we'll have him pick holes in our business plan. In other words, my, my dear listeners, if you are in this situation, please, if you're the guy, please be sensitive to your, to your wife's needs in this area and know how valuable it is to bring in a third party. And it should be somebody that your wife has confidence in and trust in as well. And you have to be ready that he's going to say things you don't want to hear. He's going to criticize your business plan. And all you should do is uh, get down on your knees in gratitude that you have somebody in your life, namely a mentor or an experienced uh, older business entrepreneur, somebody who is willing to help you see things through his eyes of experience and reality. And uh, at that point, either your wife will say, well, I'm still nervous, but I see we stand a pretty good chance. Only promise me that if by such and such a date and we're running through our resources, if it hasn't started happening, if we're not seeing this kind of revenue and then the next month that kind of revenue, you've got to go back to a job. You've got to go back to work. Um, you know, maybe it goes along those lines. Maybe it goes along the lines where you say, you know, um, I, I realize now that this is a longer term dream. I've got to stick at my job until we've managed to put away X thousand of dollars. So as we've uh, we've enlarged our security blanket just a little bit so as we can keep going longer. Now, what about uh, the, the women who write me? OK. And again, uh, I must tell you, half the letters I get uh, every year on this topic are from the wives saying, I don't know what to do. I don't want to I don't want to shatter my husband's dreams. But what do I do? And uh, again, the, the same thing is true for you. Um, you cannot possibly overestimate how damaging it can be to your husband for you to express doubt in him. And um, you've got to make absolutely sure that during the time frame, whether it's days or weeks, where you are, the two of you are discussing this very, very calmly, uh, you've got to make sure that you are, how do I put this? Uh, I want to put this delicately, that you are available to him and, and, and welcoming to him in terms of physical affection. That goes a very, very long way towards helping him see you as an ally, not an enemy. You understand what I'm saying, everybody? I hope so. Um, so, um, um, th 
the, there's, a, there's another big question coming up. What do you say to a husband and otherwise good father who still works part-time making minimum wage at age 37? Um, why is he working part-time? I mean, minimum wage is one thing, but why only part-time? And, uh, you know, I've often challenged people to show me anybody who has been in the same job for more than three years and is still making minimum wage. I just, I don't believe it because if you're good at your work, no matter what you do, you start becoming more valuable to your employer than minimum wage or somebody else hires you away. It's very, very unusual for anybody to be making minimum wage unless he keeps changing jobs. So Yaakov, I'd need more information from you in the question that uh, that you're asking on the chat room. But um, this is um, uh, this is what I, uh, I I I want those of you who who know someone in this situation or are in this situation, just be aware that uh, it requires closeness and communication. Um, if if it is the wife saying, well, I don't want to jump on his dreams. I don't want to destroy his dreams. I don't want to shatter his confidence and his enthusiasm. And I know he hates his work and I know he's desperate to start his own business. Okay, fine. So first of all, make sure that you are warm and love. Men need access to you physically. That is one of the great gifts that only you can give him. And then at the same time, you raise your concerns and it's perceived differently because he now sees you as part of him. You're not an outsider poking holes in his dreams. You're part of him. And you be the one to suggest we, we need to find an outside mentor. Maybe we can find somebody who's been in the business you are looking to enter. Maybe we can find somebody who's retired from that business. Somebody who knows more than we do. Somebody we can both trust. And let's ask that person to have dinner with us and let's pick his brains. And maybe he's going to be very encouraging, in which case, you know what? I'm going to just take my fear in my hands and I'm going to run with you. We'll jump off the cliff together. Or on the other hand, he might say, no, you've got to be very cautious. You know, you've got to have these backups. You've got to have these assurances. But this is the, the way, my friends, that, that I would uh, and do encourage folks to handle this. And it's just that over the last few months, I've received um, so many of these identical questions, you know, possibly because people read Thou Shall Prosper, they read my books, they listen to my material, they listen to my seminars, and they, they, are, they, they have the, the fire of entrepreneurialism ignited in them, which is great. It's wonderful. But, um, okay, it's it's uh, it, it it can stress a marriage and that above all should not happen should not happen all right so um, I said now that we are going to be uh, talking about the fact that China is building a massive commercial military empire uh, there is no question at all that China is planning on uh, replacing America. China is unquestionably planning on replacing America as the, the, the power of the world. Okay. So what are we supposed to do? Am I suggesting that we should um, declare war? Of course not. Absolutely not. What I am saying is 
that it is not an irrelevant concern and that it's very important that people begin to understand. When I say people, I mean only the people for whom I feel responsibility, namely you, people for whom I rabbi. It's very important that you understand what the concern really is. Okay, so what is the correct response to somebody who says, ah, stop with China, stop with China, who cares, let them do what they like. It's not an issue, it's not, it's not our business, not our problem. Well, why is it our problem? And that's what I want to try and explain to you. Maybe it works best if I start off uh, giving you a model, a manageable size model of uh, global trade. Let's try it like this. Let's try and imagine two islands separated by a couple of miles of ocean. And there are uh, tribes. There's a tribe on each island. And um, one of the islands discovers specialization and the other doesn't. So on island A, they have already figured out that if one guy grows wheat and really specializes, first of all, he grows great wheat, and secondly, he's able to grow it with far less effort than I could grow it because he's done nothing but grow wheat year after year. Somebody else grows sheep. Somebody else grows cows. Somebody else grows fruit and has fruit orchards. And everybody trades with each other. And the end result, the end result of specialization is that everybody eats better with less effort. I'm going to say that one more time because it is so very important. Everybody gets to eat more with less effort. Everybody gets to eat more with less effort. You follow what I'm saying? Everybody gets to eat more with less effort. Okay, why? What is that? What's going on? Well, you understand why that happens, right? It's obvious, right? Because if I grow my own wheat and I grow fruit and my own chickens and my own cows and my own sheep, I'm running around. I'm running around from one thing to another. I never get a chance to get really skilled at anything. I'm always putting out fires. It doesn't work well. And uh, in, in my worldview, I happen to have a biblical worldview. In my worldview, God incentivizes us through the mechanism of specialization to care for one another. Because if I took care of all my own needs, I grew my own cows and chickens and sheep and wheat and uh, corn and fruit, and you did exactly the same, then we're all nothing but competitors. And we just we ignore each other. We can have absolutely nothing to do with one another. But um, if we specialize, I pray for your welfare. I want you to do well because I want to buy wonderful potatoes from you. And we both want to buy wonderful mutton and wool from the other guy who does sheep. And all of us want to buy milk and cheese from the one who does cows. And so we all, we all care for one another. And we can all celebrate one another's successes because I am able to get the wheat I need and the corn I need and the wool I need by trading with you 
with far less effort by supplying the things I do best, far less effort than if I was trying to do it all by myself. So it's as if God incentivizes us to need one another because in a specialized economy, we're all needed. Whereas if we each take care of all our own needs, who cares if you vanish off the edge of the earth? So let's say on Island A, they figured out specialization. So Island A is really thriving. I mean, they, they're, they're growing more than they need. That's, that's what's really going on. They're growing more than they need because they are so effective. They're so efficient that they're ending up with a surplus. So what do they do with a surplus? Well, they go in a boat and they row over to the other island. Now, this other island hasn't figured out specialization yet, shall we say. And uh, this other island obviously has a shortage of food. Simple to understand. Without specialization, that's going to happen. And uh, along comes this rowboat filled to the gunnels with all kinds of wonderful food. And um, all the islanders from Island B come running over. And uh, what do they say? We want some of that. The Island A people in the rowboat say, what can you give us in exchange? Island B says, well, we've got great coconuts that grow here. We'll fill up, you know, you empty your boat of all the food. We'll take the food. We'll fill up your boat with all the coconuts you can carry. And the, 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 the island, A islanders say, yeah, you know what? I, uh, coconuts are uh, an interesting specialty. Um, our, our folks, nobody in our island grows coconuts, so we'll do that. Uh, or maybe next time it'll be wild pigs or whatever it is. But by sending the surplus over to the neighboring island, Island A gets even richer. All of a sudden, there is available for them all kinds of new things they never even had before. My friends, this used to be the position. Island A used to be the United States of America. And because we're growing a surplus, we're producing a surplus, it's very important for us to be able to take our uh, rowboats and send the surplus over to other places. And those other places can send us back things that they have best. Now, eventually they'll figure out specialization as well. That's fine. Maybe they'll specialize in producing silk scarves or silk neckties or uh, a very good motor cars. Whatever it is, it's fine. Those are things that we now can have at far less cost than if we try to do it ourselves. It's all fine. But what happens if the other island, and in this case now I'm talking about China, what happens if... China starts building islands out into the uh, southern Pacific, into the uh, Chinese Sea, South China Sea. What happens if they start expanding naval control and they stop our rowboats carrying produce to other places? Even worse, my friends, even worse. What happens if we have become a little fat, a little lazy, a little decadent, and uh, we have started saying, you know, I am perfectly happy to grow corn, but whereas I used to be willing to give you a bushel of corn for um, 
whatever, let's, you know, let's go back to dollar terms instead of bartering for $5. I now want $15 for a bushel of corn. Why? Well, because I want some luxury. And the people who work on my farm, they want to be paid more. And all of a sudden, you discover you're on a bit of a merry-go-round. This is called inflation. And inflation is a hidden evil. And so what happens is you think you're doing better and better. The price keeps going up. But here's what then happens. The folks on Island B have not become as decadent as you. And they're willing to grow corn for $3 a bushel. And so now all the folks who are paying through their nose to get your corn have an alternative. So now what you got to do is you go to your government and you bribe your government, a corrupt government, to put a very heavy duty on all imported corn so that folks have no option to buy cheap corn. They may as well buy yours because the imported corn costs just as much and the government makes the difference on all that extra tax. And so it's a match made in hell. Uh, producers in America raise their costs of production to the point where it's no longer economically viable and then they block other countries by means of duty, by means of uh, tariffs, by means of and by the way, this, this sort of thing is, is so old. It's, it, this is rooted in the history of humanity. Uh, during the colonial period, we already saw this sort of thing happening. So, um, so we got two problems here. We noticed that after a little while, our people become lazy and unproductive. Island B has now taken over, and they're becoming very productive, and they're producing a surplus. And uh, and they send a rowboat over to our island, and we're pretty hungry, so we're glad to, glad to get their food. Trouble is, we don't have much of anything to give them in return. So they say, fine, we will take some of your land. You know that nice harbor you got on the other side of your island? That's now going to belong to us. Are you seeing the, the Chinese parallel? Okay, and uh, this is really a very good depiction of what's going on. Now, what you must remember is that the British, the British were the last people to have a commercial military empire. Now, those things go together because you need a military to make sure that the oceans are open to your rowboats, that your rowboats can reach their destination and that the other people's rowboats can get to your shores. That's why you need a military. I mean, you obviously need a military that nobody invades you and tries to take your stuff by force, obviously. Let me just take a sip of tea here. You'll pardon me if I was making any noises there. Um, have you ever thought about why bodily noises are rude? Why, don't we, why do we call that bad manners? Uh, we, don't, we don't like it when people pass gas in front of other people. Uh, your mother certainly didn't let you burp in front of other people. Even a loud yawn is considered bad manners. And certainly, if, while I'm talking with you, to be making loud swallowing noises is, uh, is also bad. You know why that is? Because anything that reminds us of our animalistic nature is negative. Animals make noises with their bodies. Human beings don't. And 
good manners, for the most part, was simply the term we gave to the set of human behaviors that distinguish us from animals. That's why when you scratched your underarm vigorously in an elevator, your mom slapped you, at least mine did. She said, you know, stop behaving like a baboon. Right? Because civilization requires us to distinguish ourselves from animals. And uh, it's one of the reasons for our reticence about sex. It's not that we're puritanical, but animals have sex in public. And whereas a public display of affection is not necessarily as vulgar as having sex in public, which people do do, um, at the same time, it causes discomfort because we all understand that that is foreplay. It's a preamble to the main act. And, uh, and it makes us uncomfortable because it reminds us that we are with the, the souls of angels in the bodies of apes. And we try as much as possible to move closer to the angels and further away from the apes. Anyways, all of that is just by way of uh, background on that particular, on that particular issue. Um, so uh, if you hold on a sec, if you don't mind. Uh, oh, very good. Giuseppe, thank you. And it's probably not your real name, I guess, but uh, but whoever you are, Giuseppe, you made exactly the right point. Um, you'll pardon me a second. I just I really get a kick out of the chat room on W4CY.com. W4CY, Whiskey Force Charlie Yankee.com. Uh, so Okay, thank you very much. Okay, that's great. All right, so um, so let's go back and uh, and take a look at the British Empire, and then we'll take a look at the American Empire, and uh, and then we'll understand what it is that the Chinese are really busy with, and why it's a matter of enormous concern. Essentially, my friends, China growing and replacing America in the world means that you and I are going to have less to eat and we're going to have to work harder for it. That's the bottom line. You know, during the years of the British Empire, it was a great thing to be a, a son of Albion, to be, to be born in England and uh, to, to be a merchant in England. It was fantastic. The Royal Navy made sure you could get your goods and services. Wherever you traveled, you were respected because of the power of the British military. And you could do business everywhere. You were able to trade. Trading produces wealth. And so England became immensely powerful. Immensely powerful, immensely successful. And folks who lived in England did very well. Same thing in America. Admiral Stephen Decatur dealt a fatal blow to the Barbary Pirates. And uh, trade was once again safe for America, and America grew rich by productivity, freedom, and trade. And the military, our military is what made all that possible, made it possible for the trade routes to be open, made it possible for us to live in security. That's it. And so when they spoke about the sun never setting on the British Empire, that's because that's what it really was. And don't forget, it's not just what I've, what I've described up now. It's not just that the military keeps the naval uh, routes open, 
but it's also land routes. You also got to think of the infrastructure. What I mean by this is that not only uh, has America created millions of miles of highway and railway track, but let's go back to England for a moment. Take a look at the railways that run from the highlands of Kenya down to the coast. Who do you think built those railways? The British did. They're still running trains on track that was laid by the British in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Why did the British lay track in uh, Ghana, Nigeria, Gold Coast, South Africa, Kenya? Why were the British laying down railroads and building highways? Why? Out of the goodness of their heart? No, for trade. Because when their ships came to Kenya, they wanted to load up with coffee. And it took so long to run wagons down from the coffee highlands of Kenya over the rutted mountain paths that the British said, we need a railway. And the uh, traders, the merchants lobbied the government and the government went ahead and, and built a railway. This dramatically improved the lives of the Kenyans and it allowed the British to make more money. Nobody lost. Please don't believe the garbage you hear that British colonialism robbed the um, robbed these countries and stripped them of their wealth. You hear this all the time. It's complete rubbish. I mean, if that was so, when the British left, these countries should have exploded into wealth, instead of which they descended into corruption and poverty. But um, that, my friends, is right now in China. Do you have any idea of who's building railways, roads and bridges in China, in, excuse me, in Africa? Who's doing it now? It's not the British, not the Americans. It's the Chinese. They're doing it. Why? For the same reason. Because it's Chinese companies that are getting the business. And that means it's American companies that are not getting the business. And this, by the way, this is an old story. Um, I just recently discovered how many miles of roads the Roman Empire paved. And I was curious because I see this as, I mean, I see China doing it not only through Asia, but also in Africa. England did it. And America did it. For heaven's sake, we built the Panama Canal in another country, right? Let alone the roads and, and infrastructure we've built in the Philippines and we've built in Japan. A lot of American construction after the war was in Japan. Why do we do all these things? Because it made us wealthy and it was good for the local people also. And when our country is wealthy, then each and every one of us gets to eat more with less effort. I... That is the most basic, realistic uh, metaphor that I can provide because that's what it's really all about. I mean, obviously, it means being able to live in a nicer place with lower rent and to drive a nicer car with lower cost and to pay less for gasoline. But as, a, as an empire loses its power, and you see America losing its power over the last five decades, have you noticed our costs are going up for everything? Our quality of life is going down. Our cost of everything is going up. And if China proceeds on the, the lines it's going on, and there's no reason to think it's going to change, we're going to see more and more and more of that happen. Uh, by China seizing control of the ocean ways where they are, what's going to happen there is that uh, they're going to block certain routes from American shipping. They will. That's going to add additional costs on, to American trade, which will further suppress our economic vitality. 
And so the fact that China is trying to build, and I always call it a military commercial because that goes hand in hand. You can't build a military if you don't have vibrant commerce, and you can't build vibrant commerce if you don't have a strong military. And, um, you know, before the British Empire, there was the Roman Empire. Do you know that they built 55,000 miles of roads throughout Europe? I don't know how many miles of waterways and aqueducts the Romans built, but it's a lot. Way beyond the borders of Italy and of Rome. Throughout, everywhere. And in those days, it was wonderful to be a Roman. You lived very well. I'm trying to show the very real consequences that flow when you're, from your society losing its power. And so... Um, the Chinese are very active in Africa, and they're building all kinds of things for the Africans. And the Africans are saying, well, what do you want in return? And they're saying, we want uh, natural resources, uh, minerals, uh, valuable metals, agricultural stuff. We want all kinds of things. And they are building artificial islands in the South China Sea. And they are trying to extend naval power. But we've got to understand that all of these apparently separate pieces, uh, China's activities in, in, uh, in Asia, the activities in the South China Sea, the activities in Africa, this is something that uh, is, it must be seen as an integrated latticework, a comprehensive infrastructure that is going to continue producing added wealth for the Chinese. Now, there's a lot of people who say things like, oh, well, you know, what's, what's really going to happen is that um, the, uh, uh, the Chinese can't possibly keep up their rate of growth, and when their rate of growth slows down, oh, they're going to have a revolution, there's going to be all kinds of things going on. I, I don't believe that's true. And uh, history will, 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 will show. I think quite soon we will be able to watch and see, in fact, whether that happens and what really is going to happen. Um, but uh, um, I don't think that's going to happen. It didn't, you know, it didn't happen here. And uh, it, it, it doesn't happen easily. Uh, if their rate of growth goes down, it'll go down. But most people won't notice it because – they are already living so much better than their parents did. They're living so much better than they did 10 years ago. Fine. So if the rate of growth in China does go down, they no longer will be able to say, wow, I'm making twice as much money as I made a year ago. They're not going to be able to say that. They'll have to say, oh, I'm making twice as much money as I made five years ago. Big deal. That's still pretty good. Still very good. That's, that's really what's going on here. And so uh, we've got to understand that um, China is deliberately building dams, railroads, highways. Oh, yeah. And by the way, um, oil and gas pipelines, they're building ports, they're building airports, and uh, they're doing this in South America. They're doing it in the Pacific, like, you know, Samoa and islands like that. They're doing it in Africa. Uh, they're even they're even doing some construction projects for the Russians. Um, this is going on everywhere, and uh, and so 
I, I just I, I, I guess what I, I, I just wanted to do I wanted and I hope I've succeeded in this. I very much wanted to spend a little while getting across the idea that um, that being the empire that we have been has had a lot to do with why we've been able to live so much better than the rest of the world. And that as China supplants us, what's going to happen is our rowboats are not going to be able to reach everywhere they used to quite as easily. They're going to take a lot more people rowing, which means less room to carry our goods. Number two, we're not producing goods competitively. A lot of the other islands are now saying, you know, we used to give you a, um, a boatload of coconuts in exchange for a boatload of your food. But nowadays, you're only sending us half a boatload of your food, and you still want a boatload of coconuts. We're not, do- we're not playing that game anymore. I hope I've been helpful on this. Very, very much wanted to, uh, to, to, to lay out the practical implications of this. And that you can see that um, I don't believe, I really don't believe that uh, China is looking to uh, bomb Los Angeles or invade Oakland or, uh, or sail up the Mississippi River. I really don't think that that's, I just don't think that that's what's likely to happen. Just not what's going on. Their, uh, their military is there in order to uh, protect them from interference and uh, to secure their avenues of trade, to make certain that they can continue trading as they're doing. Because their goal, like everyone else's, my friends, is number one, to survive, number two, to eat more with less effort. That's it. And if you think about it, other than your spiritual desires. We each have spiritual yearnings. Okay, good. And we have our needs for, for love and affection. And we, we, have, we have these needs in our lives. But once those needs are being put away, then you and I have exactly the same desire, which is to eat more for less. We all want to pay less for our gasoline, less for a nicer car, less for a nicer home. And what's really happening is exactly the opposite. With the uh, the internal destruction we're imposing through added regulation and um, with the tightening that is the result of China's dramatic growth economically and militarily, what's happening is exactly the reverse. We're paying more for electricity. We're paying more for gasoline. We're paying more for clothing. We're paying more for everything. That's right. A lot of that damage is self-inflicted, and a lot of that damage is the consequence of a new player in the world called China, a military and commercial power that is using its commercial power to build its military and is using its military to expand its commercial power around the world. And in the old days when people used to want to buy American machinery and American know-how. Sorry, my friends, unless we turn things around very quickly, right now people are looking to Asia to supply that stuff. Machinery, know-how, engineering, big projects, that's where it's coming from. This is not good for us. It's not healthy for us, not at all. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's something that at least if we understand what's going on, we stand something of a chance.
of recovery. And so that takes us as far as we can go this evening. Uh, Producer Rebel, I want to thank you very much indeed for making everything work. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for being with us. I'll uh, I'll be on the chat room to say goodbye still for a few minutes. And uh, and until next Thursday night, that's it. Those of you listening to us on Sunday morning, have a great Sunday. Really appreciate it and uh, love knowing you're there. Have a fantastic week of prosperity and good health. God bless. I want to hold your hand. I want to hold your hand. Hi, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, reminding you that everyone, regardless of your faith, needs a rabbi. And for those of you with no faith at all, well, just maybe I'm your insurance policy. Let's talk right here every Thursday evening, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on W4CY Radio. Don't miss it. I-